1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next
0: adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey
2: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Got a great guest with me here today, Dan Cabela. And uh, this time of year, so we're recording this in the fall, I was quite lucky to catch Dan um, at home we'll go over what his travel schedule looks like throughout the year, but especially this time in the fall as, as the podcast goes on. But Dan, for those that don't know, um, really does some great work with conservation, not only here in North America through the, the Cabela's Family Foundation, um, but also has a new show that focuses on conservation and really, what I would consider topics that I don't think a lot of people really want to talk about or hear, and that's called hard truths of conservation, which is actually on the, on the history channel. So looking forward to hopping in, um, to that with Dan as well. Dan, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing good. Good morning. Good morning. Um, This is probably a good time to have this conversation because, uh, there's a lot going on. So there's probably a little bit to talk about.
2: There is, there is. As I, as I started to put the list together, um, of things I'd like to cover, for this podcast it just kept going and going and going and I quickly realized we're not going to be able to cover everything on on one podcast so I'm gonna have to catch you again when you're when you're back at home in the winter or whenever just to to be able to really there's just so much that I know once we get going on the to cover that I just don't want to skip anything over I want to go over everything sure yeah
1: I'm all yours
2: all right so I'm gonna obviously growing up a Cabela for and I'm not even gonna say it for those that don't know a cabela last name so so dan is of that cabela's family so it literally if you're in the hunting industry you 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 know that but growing up a cabela when did you actually go out on your first hunt
1: um you know i, I don't specifically know but 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 i would i would guess around uh, that five to seven year uh age um mostly back then mostly what we did was um waterfowl and, and and upland game uh so that was kind of when i was first exposed uh to uh hunting by my dad
2: and would that been right right around sydney nebraska
1: yeah yeah absolutely but okay. yeah yeah it was a long i was a lot older when i actually ventured out in nebraska and hunt some, somewhere else you know okay. <laughs> probably probably closer to 20 you know
2: okay well, I've actually been, let's see, the last three years, I've hunted pheasants around Sydney, Nebraska. So it's uh, it's different landscape, but man, if you're a waterfaller or an upland bird hunter, and truthfully, if you're a deer hunter too, there's some special hunting around there.
1: No doubt. Um, and, and we did a ton of that uh, all the time when I was growing up there. So...
2: Do you remember back when was it something that you were hooked right away like you you wanted to or because you were doing it because you, that's what Cabela's did was it something that was in your blood from the from the first couple times you went out
1: well i i I guess uh, no I think I think I grew into it I think I enjoyed it um I, I think when when I first started going, you know it was more about just uh trying to be like my older brothers and 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 my dad and my uncles and their friends and just trying to be a part of that group with camaraderie and just just try to feel like you're 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 part of the brotherhood you know what i'm saying so yep. so uh I think that's what got me started and and over time you know that passion grew I was pretty much surrounded by it my entire life and still am so uh you know, I think that passion has evolved over time. You know, uh, from the hunting side and the conservation side.
2: So, knowing did when did you introduce hunting to your children?
1: About that same time, I okay. think. I think most of my kids. Well, I got three kids, and I think they all harvested their first big game animal. Uh, you you know, around that five to six year old. Um, okay.
2: And knowing you've got a couple in college, how, how often do your kids get out and hunt now?
1: Not as much as, as they used to, but, but, you know, deer season's coming and, and, and everybody's planning on shooting deer this year. So, uh, We've been talking about that quite a bit and looking at game cam picks and trying to figure out what we're going to do and where we're going to put stands and things like that. So I think the fall is going to be – there's going to be quite a bit of hunting in this household. Everybody's kind of home right now or, or close to me. My, my daughter uh, has graduated from college now, um, and she's she's actually moving into an apartment, but it's it's in Austin, so she's literally going to be 20 minutes away.
2: Okay, and you and for those that don't know, Dan moved to Texas. Obviously, there are a lot of people moving to Texas for for various reasons, But Dan lives in in Texas now. Obviously, travels all over, but calls Texas home.
1: Yeah, so I, I went to uh, the University of Texas uh, to college, and Texas was a lot different than Nebraska, and I I never left. No, <laughs> so no. I, I, I've been there a while. <laughs> Texas, having
2: having been to Texas and hunted Texas, Texas definitely has has an appeal for for a lot of reasons that was back was actually back probably when the Longhorns were used to be good at football as well. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So if I had to ask you a question, are you, are you more like your mom or more like your dad?
1: Um, ah, that's what, that's, that's a tough one. I I'd say it's a mix really. I, I, I think, I think they both kind of passed on different qualities to me. Obviously now that my dad has passed away, I spend a lot more time with my mom. Um, but uh i think I, if i had to put it on a scale it's probably a little heavier on my mom's side but i think i i got a a good bit of uh good qualities out of both of them
2: oh that's great so how how old is your mom mary now what's that how old is your mom now
1: uh she's 85
2: 85 and is she still getting out to hunt
1: yeah she we we hunted uh she shot a bush pig and 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 Mozambique last year uh, on a hunt with me, and she's going with us to Spain in November. I I don't know that she's going to hunt on that trip, but she she still wants to go. So she's she's uh, she's for eighty five. She's she's doing pretty good.
2: Yeah, she moves moves around pretty pretty darn good and we'll and we'll go back to that because i know she's heavily involved with with most of the projects that you have over there just watching you guys go i see her in the pictures in the video and and knowing her she has her hand in it from from the background um looking back i mean have you you've had the have you hunted russia yet have you hunted every continent that you can hunt in
1: no I, uh, ironically russia uh was supposed to be next year that, that was when I was going to start and I was going to try to do at least one hunt every year mm-hmm. but but obviously that's changed I I mean I yeah. I have a couple hunts booked there right, right now but I but I don't I don't I don't I, don't, I think those are either going to get kicked back or or uh or if they'll honor it they'll get kicked back and if not you know I'll probably just lose them
2: yeah gonna have to wait that one out a little bit just to see how that one plays out <laughs> over there I was ironically yeah. set to go to Russia um this year, so obviously did not decided not to make that journey over there at this time.
1: Right. What, what were you? What were you going to do there?
2: I was going to go after um, snow sheep. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. So it was one of those. It was uh, I'd been waiting for so long too. It was one of those. It was I was in the same mindset as you. Kind of when you go to a when you go to a region. I know you kind of have the same thing. But when you go to a region, you just you get familiar with it. You take all the barriers of when the planning and everything. Thinking about it and you get there and you kind of have it figured out to where you're like okay I'm gonna go back there but I'm gonna go for this hunt or this hunt just because you figured out the travel which is the big part you figured out getting through customs arranging the guns the trophies you figured out all the all the hassle and that's kind of how I was planning Russia very similar to how you were planning it of okay go once and then all of a sudden you'll just keep going if not every year every other year just because they're the hunting opportunities over there are amazing yeah but just once you figure it out kind of go back and, and stay in that stay in that tune versus going once and then waiting 10 years to go back
1: right yeah i had the i had the moose and the and the brown bear oh, yeah. um those were the ones i had to uh, book yeah. but uh we'll see what happens I, I see that there are people hunting over there but i but i'm uh I'm I'm a little bit yeah, no, leery I, of going over there. <laughs> I saw
2: I saw I saw that as well, and I was like, man, I give those guys credit for for heading over. First of all, I don't know what kind of airplane travel they had to do to to shimmy on over there because I know you can't fly direct from America over there, so they had to do something over in in Europe to to do a change and get on the right airline to get in there.
1: Right, and and I and I don't know what's going on with the credit cards now, but I know at one oh, point you yeah. couldn't even use them there. So yeah, that's a good. It's call. uh that's a long ways away to, to have things like that going on. I mean. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, nothing nothing like carrying large sums of cash over there. Yeah. That's a great great situation to be in.
1: No doubt. Hey
3: everybody, month of October, tag season still rolling along here. We've got three deadlines you gotta make sure to check out. October 5th, the state of Utah has their mountain lion deadline. Arizona on October 11th for spring bison and spring turkey. And October thirty first, and in the end, in the month here, Wyoming has their point only. So make sure to get applied for that one.
2: So, of, so of all, knowing you've traveled all over and, and hunted, what's some of the favorite locations that you've hunted so far?
1: <clears throat> well, I, I, I guess that kind of depends. You know, I've always kind of looked at things um, in different ways. So, so you know, Africa to me. Has always been more of a, I'd say more of a fun hunt. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, there's there, there's there's usually not a ton of pressure, and uh, you're usually with a group, and and um, you know you kind of decide each day what you're what you're going to try and do that day. Uh, but then there's other places like Mongolia or, or a lot a lot of the hunting I've done in North America where where you you're just tested uh, yep. to extreme. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, those are obviously places that I that I've really cherished as well for different reasons, you know. Yep. Um but uh honestly uh, Ethiopia I really enjoyed Mongolia. Um I just got back from Northwest territories that that nearly killed me but but it was a great hunt.
2: <laughs> Looks like you got you got a good ram after you finally got all your all your travel issues worked out to get in there.
1: Yeah oh, yeah that was that was uh how traveling these days you you know it's it's oh. it's fun. <laughs>
2: especially especially u.s to canada for whatever reason there seems to be a lot of a lot of lost bags so how, yeah. how did i haven't talked to you since you got back from that one it i mean obviously it went good because you got a great ram but t- let's how'd it go
1: well it went great but but it, you know it, it was one of those sheep hunts where where you shoot your sheep at four thirty in the afternoon on the last day so you oh, definitely yeah. got the full, got the full experience you know so it was uh it was great though. It was good. I mean, it, it was so nice to get in those situations where, you know, you don't see anybody, but your guide for 10 days. Yep. I mean, I, I mean, there's something to be said about that. It's a, there, there, there's probably not a anywhere that I can think more clear than on a hunt like that. You know, it, it's, it's pretty awesome.
2: And it's funny you said that. So we dad and I hunted BC this year and our guide Dawson, um, I mean, I think he, he's used to people coming in and you could tell when we landed, I mean, obviously you have a lot, like everybody's thinking of, okay, I'm going to be gone for X amount of time. And you land and you got so much on your mind. You know what you got to do when you get home, you know, what's going on while you're gone. And we had started our hike up and he, he turns and goes, just give it a day. Eventually all those worries are going to go away and, and, and you'll be able to actually clearly think again. And it had been a while since I'd been on a backpack hunt. And I tell you what, by like day two or day three, you're like all that stress is gone. You're just enjoying nature. You're just basically in survival mode of, of what you need to do each day. And, and there's something about clearing your head like that, that really helps.
1: No doubt. I I think that's a lot of the draw, you know, I mean, for me personally, it's just, you know, the disconnect, you know, Uh, we're, we're all real busy and we're very connected to a lot of things. And when you get in those kind of situations, you you have to let it go. And, and, And it's, it's, it's actually awesome to be able to do that. Yeah.
2: So of all, uh, knowing you've traveled all over, had a lot of experiences, if you look forward, what are some of the places that you're really looking forward to going and hunt?
1: Well, I'm I'm going to follow you. I go to BC here in a couple weeks, so I'm, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. And actually, Sunday I go to, uh, I'm going up to Maine um, for a black bear hunt. And, okay. and those two, and that, it's a little stressful with those two hunts right now because basically I fly back from the, from the hunt in Maine, switch gear and go back to the airport. So it's it's uh there's there's no time in between the two hunts. So so but but totally different gear. So I've got it I gotta come back.
2: Yeah, those switches. Are you hunting with Nathan in Maine? I am. Yeah. No, you'll have a great time. I saw you you guys were up there on the moose hunt, was it la- it was last year, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah, no, he that camp is amazing up there. That's always a good one. What other trips do you have planned in the in the short future here?
1: um let's see i've got uh we're, well we're going to spain i talked about that earlier yep. that's in november and then i've got uh a couple of deer hunts in mexico in october and then and then another one in mexico in in december and then uh pakistan in january
2: so deer hunts in mexico in, in october what are you going for there
1: oh, it's a gulf coast I'm and on the gulf coast and and, and uh, the the uh,
2: the blacktail over the Baja blacktail. Yeah, who are you doing the Gulf Coast one with?
1: And you would ask me that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't need to answer now. It's maybe better you get you text it to me later because that was the reason I asked. I'm I'm so one of my new one of my new projects I'm starting um, is doing the North America Deer Slam, and I came up with a list of 31 different deer species from canada u.s and mexico you and and you know this but you wouldn't believe the the deer species that are in mexico these odd ones that have these ones and two tags and that's where we're just kind of it's not like it's a main outfitter that does it because there's only one or two tags so it's always yeah it's always nice to find somebody that's gone there and done that before before you step in there and do it
1: yeah i i've been using um uh, I I think you know Javier Ayala right Yeah yep I mean I've been using him for most of my my uh hunts down there you know he's he, he's not the outfitter on most of them but he knows most of the guys so yeah. so I've I've been using him for for a lot of those down there but but uh, and I've been kind of doing the same thing you're doing I don't know if I have quite that many I may need to see your list but but, it, <laughs> but it, I've been...
2: I I broke a lot of like the subspecies off a of southeastern midwest like Plains deer, California mule deer. I took it, and like I tell everybody, there's no sign, there's no master list of this. So I took what SCI had, then I took Miranda's little little deer slam thing, and and I kind of looked in there and said, okay, there are free range axis deer in Hawaii and in Texas, so it, it's not a white tail or a black tail, but I'm adding that in. There's free range sandbar in California, so I added that in their sika their free range sika deer in Maryland so i added i added stuff like that in too Right. i okay. the Anacosta I island like and eventually yeah. you start start doing it adds up to 31 by the time you're done with it
1: yeah that makes sense now i i, I was thinking more white tail mule deer uh if you get uh if you book that Anacosta, let me know cuz i've been trying to book that I haven't had a lot of luck with those guys. I've sent them some emails and I don't get any return. It's a, it's a, very, uh,
2: it's a very tricky because there's one that you know that I think you're messaging probably the same guy that I'm, I'm going to do. Um, there's one, one main group up there that looks like they're better than everybody right. else, but they're, they are tricky to get a hold of and work with for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. Are, are you, are you using, uh, uh, wta for that or are you doing
2: that yourself so i'm gonna set probably set that one up because this guy's been so difficult to work with on the wta side it's something that <laughs> as bad saying this on the podcast but we we probably won't set it up with him because he's so difficult to work with that we can tell we would have issues trying to arrange clients to get in there
1: yeah well well if you if you pull it off let me know when okay. it is because I, I can't even get those guys to respond yeah so. no
2: i i if i if i can get it set it up i'll set it up for both of us okay cool yeah yeah um all right now it's time to to dig into the real meat and potatoes here and i wanted to start with the cabela's family foundation um wh- how long ago did you guys start the the family foundation oh
1: be, it was it was around 1990 so i so i so i guess you know 30 plus years ago
2: okay and as it as you started, what were some of the projects like? I, I can't wait to dig into the projects of what you guys have going now, especially the Twenty Four Lions, because it, you, I mean, you, you know, this—it's been so successful, like the the story and everything behind that. I like, can't wait to that. But what were some of the projects that you that that started with the foundation and and kind of grew into the ones you're doing now?
1: So, I guess for for the first. Oh, I don't know, twenty years or so, maybe even a little longer. We mostly just did organizational support, mm-hmm. you know. So, so you know, Rock You know, the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, SCI, you know, all of them. Uh, and, and mostly it was just about uh, writing checks at that point, mm-hmm. you know. So, so kind of busy with the actual, uh, you know, with Cabela's, and and the foundation was more of just a, a support to give back to organizations we believed in and then when we you know eventually sold Cabela's I think that's when we decided okay l- l- let's actually do some things you know that are a little more organic that we can actually get involved in and be a part of and and watch the success so, so that it was really around that time that we made the shift I think that the Lion Project started in 2018 and, and that was really the beginning of, of um, those kind of projects. I, we did we did do the uh, start the thing out at Philmont with the Boy Scouts. I think that was in seventeen. So mm-hmm. and we built we've been building that camp out there, you know, to to uh, to support the Boy Scouts and and then uh, obviously the curriculum that they have there is is more around um, conservation, hunting, and fishing.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great program. So 24 Lions, first explain what 24 Lions is, what the, what the project is that that you guys did and, and really how, how did it come together? How did you, how did the project start? Where did the idea come from?
1: Okay. So the, the idea actually came from, uh, an associate of mine named Ivan Carver. I don't know if you know Ivan or not, um, and so we were looking at several projects, you know, that was kind of going to be the, uh, you know, the first legacy project that, that, that we did, that just was totally about conservation. So, so we were looking at lots of projects and that one to me looked like it had a very reasonable chance of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been to, to Katata 11 in Mozambique. I knew Mark Haldane. I, I knew how committed he was. Um, and when I saw that it was going to happen there, uh, you know, with lions specifically, which is a pretty hardy animal, uh, I, I thought that that one had a pretty good chance of success. So, so I think that's kind of how it evolved. Uh, the the other factor that that make made that project very appealing is there's there, that that's one of the few places where where there's no uh, sheep, goats, or cattle. Um, yeah. So if you don't have that aspect, you've eliminated a ton of human wildlife conflict, you know. So so that helped significantly as well. There were a lot of factors, but I I think that that one looked like a home run project. And and it's it's really done well. Uh, That was the biggest translocation of lions in history. Still is. And and uh, we started with 24 and there's a little over 80 now. So. it's heading the right direction
2: and when you started there were
1: zero there correct zero so so and that's that's a great question because you don't really want to you know reintroduce lions to an area that never had them you want to reintroduce them to an area that historically had them and and they're gone just like we've done with our sheep here so That area, there was a civil war. uh, I think it was from like 79 to the early 90s fought in that country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, wildlife was absolutely decimated uh, in that area. And over the years, you know, once the civil war was over, and I think Mark Haldane's had it for 30 plus years, you know, the wildlife just slowly started coming back. Uh, You know, I think when he got the area, there were twenty-five. 100 buffalo on their survey and now there's over 25,000. Wow. And, and and sable, I think the count was 44 and now there's, you know, 5-6,000 sable there. So 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 it's really changed, but the one thing that never repopulated were the apex predators. Mm-hmm. Uh so so you know, leopards were there. Leopards can live anywhere, but it was a tough area to get to because of the surrounding villages and the fact that it's a Delta ecosystem. So lions never moved back and recolonize that area. Uh, there were occasional sightings over the years, but, but, uh, but never any growth, never, ne- never any prides. Um, and, uh, it's perfect habitat for them. Uh, we just had to get them back in there. I mean, the, the thing about. You know, the thing that's confusing about what you see in the media and other things is is, is that there's a thought that, you know, there's not very many lions left in Africa, mm-hmm. which is there's plenty of lions. There's just not any lion habitat. Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. know? you know, they, they've got nowhere to live. So so that was two million acres and, and they've got plenty of space there and plenty of food and they're, they're doing fantastic. And
2: so were they all translocated from one one spot or were they brought in from a couple?
1: I'd have to go back and, you know, my memory's not that great. I want to say it was five or six different spots that we took them from, uh, all from South Africa. You know, originally we were going to get them out of uh, Zimbabwe, uh, out of Booby. But, but, uh, you know, right when that was all happening was when Mugabe finally you know uh, yeah got removed from power you know it's like the the one the only time in my life where i wanted him to stay there for another month or so
2: said <laughs> <Instead of laughs> to wait four more weeks Good <laughs> so how does how is the project now i mean obviously it's su- successful it's grown from 24 to 80 and i were i assume the original 24 were all collared so you could track them all over correct
1: Yes, and, okay. and we still do collaring uh, when we're able on on some of the you know newer generation of lines. Uh, so that the collaring still active. We collar as many as we can. Okay. Um. Uh. And and it's pretty pretty good for tracking them.
2: In that, and then you just use that data to watch as as they grow and 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 kind of go. What is is there a goal for how many? lions to eventually get in there i mean if you think about two million acres that is a serious chunk of land
1: yeah it is uh, you know the original data that we saw in in 15 years it looked like we, we we could probably get to 400 or so okay and and um i suppose you know i suppose we'll realize we've been successful when when it's someday they're they're actually you know the, the the country allows you know for the taking of, of some trophies out of there I mean mm-hmm. if you have a surplus of males that's what, really what you're gonna need to do anyway um, because inevitably they're gonna kill each other or, or move into villages and and so so at some point you know they you're gonna need to harvest some of those uh, lions um, and and our, and our our hope is that once that starts happening, that will fund the project i mean you know i yeah. mean that that's that's where we'd like for it to to end up uh and i you know we're probably not that far they have you know the way it's grown and you know from 24 which is is a low inventory you know mm-hmm. uh, to 80 in four years uh and then you take that you know larger inventory and it just becomes exponential so yep. i mean so so it is i think it's very possible to get those numbers up to, to very high levels.
2: Yeah. And that's, and that's the ultimate goal is to make it to where this project is now sustainable by itself, that the lions were introduced and now it's sustainable that the, that the money is just generated in, in the way that truthfully all the animals in Africa kind of, kind of make it. I mean, that's, that's the truth about over there. People here may not truly understand it if they haven't been there, but that's, that's how animals survive in Africa is they have to have a value on them. No doubt. And it's,
1: it's just how people survive too it's, it's it's true it's
2: it's the same it's the same thing here is as you start looking in the u.s um what's the like it's, this may be me but like what's the biggest threat to a lot of these these species like i did the upland slam and the biggest threat to all the upland species is is human sprawl It's it's oh, where no we're doubt. building houses it's how we're changing our 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 habitat we're we're crushing like around me the the forests are going down so we can put more houses in because the people are just expanding so much and and you don't think about okay i put a house in here and i took out two acres well there were a hundred people that did that right in the same area and took out 200 acres of forest and now there are no grouse around here
1: right yeah same 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 thing here we we we, we rarely see see quail in this area anymore and we used to hear them every morning you know
2: And, and upland birds are one of the what are the ones that are more susceptible? Cause if you think about it, every predator out there is looking for them. They need, they need the habitat to protect and nest and, and get their young away until they're able to fly. And, and how egg practices have changed. There's no more fence rows anywhere. So if you think about out west pheasants, it's getting tougher. They basically harvest right up to the roads now. And, and there's just so many more people to feed. You understand why, but one of the repercussions of that is it's just tougher for upland birds. And everything, in no general, doubt. everything in general. So started with 24 lions and then went, did you, did you have the idea for the cheetah project before you started this? Or was it one that you were like, Holy smokes, look at how successful the 24 lion project is. And then came up with the 12 cheetah project.
1: Uh, it's a, a, exactly what you just said. Um, and, and once again, you know, it, 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 it was something that we hired some people to research to make sure that there were cheetahs at one time there. Uh, uh, and and we found historical records, you know, it's probably been a hundred years, but, but, uh, but there were cheetahs there at one time. Um, and you know, like I said earlier, the commitment level of the, of the Zambezi Delta team there to to conservation is incredible. And if you're going to have a chance, those guys are going to, be the ones you want to be with on something like that just because they, they work at it every day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, I mean, they're the ones doing all the work, really, uh, and it's a daily deal.
3: Hey, guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of kentucky born from bourbon field tested wildlife approved check them out at buckbourbon.com. hey everybody i've been partnered and working with bass pro and cabela's now for a long time they're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors personally i use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips make sure to check them out at basspro.com or cabelas.com leopold offers the best optics in the game bar none I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their pro guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark five on all my rifles. And also don't forget, they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leopold.com.
2: And how, so explain for people that don't know, what's the difference between the translocating of lions and you said a hardy animal, obviously anybody that knows a lion's a hardy animal versus a cheetah. And what, what's the difference when you had to set that up for cheetahs versus the lion's?
1: Yeah, so so cheetahs definitely have been more of a challenge, um, and we've actually done some augmentations. In fact, we did one this week, uh, just because uh, you know, first of all, they're more delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, their coalitions are much smaller as well. So, uh, and they wander. You know, I mean that you know, we've had to go and get them something some you know, there was one cheetah walk halfway to Byra, you know, and we had we had to go <laughs> get it. It's so, so it's been the cheetahs have been a lot more challenging. I, I, I wouldn't deny that. I, you know, we're we're still waiting. They've only been there a year, but we still have not seen any any offspring. So okay. um we're 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 hoping. We we just put some more females in there um this last week.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I know that in it's funny how cats are different and like that, but cheetahs are a lot more delicate on how well just with everything. So I'm ho- again, we're all hoping that project takes off and has the success that that the lion project does. As you look as you look forward, do you have other projects like this planned in the works?
1: So we, we just did um, we've got some smaller ones. We, we did um, we did a black bear study down in Arkansas in in, um, in July. Uh, there's a new, uh, uh, I think they call it the coastal plains, black bears down there. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're having their first season, I think ever this year. And so we went down there and, 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 uh, we collared some adult bears and, and microchip them and tested them for general health. And, and then we'll see, you know, with the data of the harvest, you know, we'll be able to, to probably create some data as to what that population actually really looks like. Mm-hmm. So we did that, and then shortly after that, we um, we went up to Nevada, and, and uh, you know they've got that MOVI, that pneumonia, that's going through some of those mm-hmm. herds. So, so we went up there, and we we uh, we caught you know quite a few sheep and tested them and checked their health and put them back on the mountain. So uh, you know I haven't seen the results from those tests yet, but they should be coming out pretty soon.
2: Okay now what, when 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 you look at projects in obviously the new ones you've got going in north america versus the ones you started in africa what have you seen so far is it easier to do these types of projects in africa or is it easier to do them in in the us
1: it's easier and less costly to do the ones in the us that you know the problem with the us is is we like to try to find, you know, projects where we can actually be hands on. Yep. Um and, and sometimes with state agencies and things that can there can be some barriers. But mm-hmm. so we try to find, you know, state agencies that are willing to work with us and let us participate. Um, but but we found it to be, you know, definitely uh, impactful, less cost uh involved and and obviously the travel and everything else if you're doing stuff in north america it's just a lot easier it's a lot easier to be
2: yeah so what besides those do you have any future projects planned for for next year are you seeing how these ones go and then go from there
1: i mean we're looking at projects we're looking at um we're looking at a whitetail project a cwd uh testing project um and then we're also looking at a at a at a sheep uh uh, relocation, uh, project.
2: Okay. And as you, what, like, as you, the obviously you found the, the Cabela's family foundations kind of just like a lot of, a lot of foundations or a lot of individuals kind of oh. work their way through to get to where you're at today. What is the, what is the goal? Like, what's the mission statement for the Cabela's family foundation?
1: Well, it, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, what we want to do is promote wildlife conservation and and outdoor recreation, you know, kind of what we've always done, but Mm -hmm. through a charitable, uh, situation. So, so I would say that, that, I mean, I, you know, I could get on the website and read you the mission statement, but that's pretty much what it says. Uh, um, and and I think that that, you know, hopefully will go far into the future. No,
2: perfect. I know knowing you guys, you have it set up to, to do that. So the big, the big question, did you ever think that you were going to be a TV host? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So how, how did, how did, how did that one? Cause I, I never thought, never thought you would be either. So how did that, how did that come about? How did the, the idea of the show? I mean, listen, to get a, to get a, a hunting conservation show on the history channel, first of all, in today's world, I don't even know how you did that. So there's, there's, there's gotta be something like, how did this all, all come about?
1: So kind of through these other projects that we've been talking about, you know, so we were filming all these things, um, not necessarily for TV shows, but just, you know, for promotion and for our own use. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I was traveling all over the place and, 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 you know, there was this connection taking place with, with the projects and and the filming and, we just sat down one day and we started talking, and I, and, I, and and one of the guys said, "Well, as much as you're traveling, because I usually have it at least three years booked out." Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, "Why can't we find, you know, conservation the stuff that you're already doing, you know, and and you know if you're going on, you know, twelve hunts in a year, maybe half of those have a really good conservation component." that we could develop and, 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 and actually make a series about. So that was kind of how it came to be. Um, As far as getting on history channel. I mean, I, I think that was, I don't know. I just think we got lucky to be honest with you. I mean, there was no, uh, you know, we sent the pitch deck out to lots of people and I got a text one night and said, uh, you know, history really likes the pilot. And I didn't, and then I, I responded. I was like, I mean, I, I thought it was History Channel, but I didn't know. I said, tell me what history is. <laughs> 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 and, and, and it was like, History Channel was the next text. And I said, that was totally unexpected. You know yeah. what I mean? But, uh, yeah, we'll see. It seems like it's doing okay. It seems like it's doing good. We, I, we're, we're experiencing more growth each week, so we'll see. Well, it's so, um,
2: so different from History Channel's normal – normal content i mean you i mean you know this not very many people want to hear the and i think the name it fits perfect hard truths of conservation nobody really wants to in in the general society nobody really wants to hear those of what true conservation is
1: yeah and and kind of what we've done with that series is 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 you know we just present it you know Mm -hmm. i mean the the audience can make their own mind up. that we don't we don't pitch it this is the way it should be, or this is how it is. It's like, you know, this is, we're on this journey. This is what we saw. These were the people, this is what we did. And mm-hmm. and the audience can make up their mind as to whether they think it's a good thing or not. You, yep. you know what I mean?
2: Yep. No, that's the, that's the best way. I mean, with this, with this, how it's positioned at History Channel, that's the best way to do it is let, obviously don't try to force feed them something that they probably don't want to hear. Just let them make their own decision.
1: right. Yeah, and that, and that was kind of our goal, to to to, to be keep it fairly simple, um, do some excellent cinematography to make it entertaining, mm-hmm. and, 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 and just let the, let the people see what's going on, and let them decide if there's value in that.
2: So when you hit the field when you're, when you're filming, how many field producers do you have with you? Just one. Just one. So you got one guy in I the mean, field. I there, mean,
1: there's been a few times where there's been two. But I mean, like on the big, like the, the with the lions and and the, and the cheetahs, you know, yep. where you've got multiple people filming. But but most of the other uh, shoots that we do, it's it's me and one guy. I okay. Mean, one camera, you know, uh, and that the majority of it is done that way.
2: Yep. And it's it's a lot easier to move with one field producer than two. On the last For sure. on the last couple of larger projects I've done, I've had two, and I will say it definitely speeds up the process in the field. Just because you got two, and if they work good together, this guy knows I, I have to get this, and the other guy knows I've got to get this, and we need so many shots here, so many shots here. We need so many so many slow-motion shots, so many drone shots, and, and to watch two guys in the field definitely, definitely spe- speeds that part up, and I've noticed production quality went up having both because, truthfully, I think I rushed the – actually, I know this. I rushed the guys in the field quite a bit. They would stay there probably just like your guys would stay there all day and you're right like, well we've got to get going
1: yeah we've discussed uh bringing in two um and i and i think when, on the conservation projects that that for me i think that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. there's a lot of activity and lots of people and things going on and one guy it's pretty tough for him to, to work that whole thing but yep. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm on a sheep pump. Oh, think yeah. One no. guy's the way to go. No,
2: sheep pump. <laughs> sheep pump. First of all, if you can get one guy that can survive the 10 days while right. carrying all of his stuff, that's the guy. He's the winner.
1: Right. Yeah. No yeah. doubt.
2: I always thought I had a heavy pack, and then I went to Justin, my field producer, and I and grabbed his stuff, and he's got everything plus the camera gear. And I'm like, eeh, man, you've lost a lot of weight over this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good and you mentioned you mentioned earlier three years three years booked out and and some listeners may may have caught that the the reason Dan's booked out for three years obviously for schedule reasons but a lot of the places he goes I mean obviously you want to go with the best in the area and this isn't just going for a what I call a deer hunt in Iowa or Kansas or somewhere to where there are a lot of great outfitters a lot of places Dan's goes and is in a nook and cranny somewhere over in Asia and and there's really one great outfitter over there and you want to make sure to go with that one and get the best dates. So as Dan lays out his schedule, he plans so far in advance so he can obviously get the best dates, best guide, best, best outfitter, which is truly the way to go in, in what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I think that sums it up pretty good. And then the only other factor is, you know, and it doesn't really work because what what I'm doing right now with all these fall hunts, uh, is I, I always try to spread it out, but it seems like it always gets bunched up at the end. So
2: yeah,
1: (laughs) that's the goal, but it it doesn't seem to work.
2: You know, I I've tried that for the last 10 years of saying, okay, I'm going to spread this out. So I don't get into where I'm gone for five or six weeks in a row. And then up until I started coaching every time we'd roll into September and then it would be like, I'd be home in November just because everything happens in in two and a half months in the fall here in North America. It all, it all happens in two and a half months. So just, just crazy. So when you, as you, as you were concepting the show, what obviously tell, tell all the listeners, what, what is, what's it about? What, what are you trying to show as you go to location to
1: location? So, so usually the way it happens is uh, at least the way I prefer it to happen and it doesn't always work this way, but but I think it's more entertaining if we have a conservation component that we can throw in with 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 a hunt or, or some of the episodes don't even have hunts. But but uh, so I like to do to, to, to do that. So so we were talking about Maine. We're going to Maine. Uh, you know, we're going to hunt black bear there, and and we also talked about the Arkansas coastal bear, bear that we did the collaring on. So those will go together in an episode. Okay. Uh, uh, two different regions. Actually, there's three because we also went into uh, South. Uh, eastern Oklahoma and did some bear denning. So there's three regions we go to, three three different ways of managing conservation, three different ty- types of bear populations. You you put that into a 30-minute episode. It's pretty entertaining mm-hmm. all the way through, you know. Uh, so we try to do that. And obviously, there's a lot of things that, that, that people don't realize, uh, especially people who do not hunt or fish, that happen to make these landscapes and and uh ecosystems what they are i mean uh, so we try to show that you know i mean there's a lot of people that don't realize you know in the 1970s there were no bighorn sheep in nevada yeah you know and and hunting dollars reintroduced sheep from canada to nevada Mm uh from that fraser river area so so I, i think it's one thing to see wildlife and think it's cool but i I think it's important to understand what it's taken to keep those animals there, because there is a lot of work going on to, to, to ensure that wildlife has a future. Uh, and so we try to highlight those things, you know, that, that the show is not about Dan Cabello. It's about mm. the people doing the work. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it's about.
2: Yeah. in each, each area of the world, it's, it's a different group of people that have, that are, that are doing it on day in day out basis.
1: Yes. And that and that's the the biggest component of the show, you know, um, the conservation and the people that are ensuring a future for for wildlife on our planet.
2: So where what what time to what days and what time does this air on History Channel?
1: It's on Saturdays. Uh, it airs at nine a.m. Eastern. Uh, there's usually there's always a stacked viewing so two episodes so uh you, you get uh you know two 30 minute episodes each saturday morning okay
2: and what are some of the other locations or episodes that you've got set and edited for for season one that are coming out
1: okay so so this week i think the cheetah one comes out um I know I, I, I that'll be a new one. I I I don't remember which one is the encore. I'd have to I'd have to look at. I think it might be the the uh the community buffalo in in Mozambique and then and then the following week uh we did a, an exotic episode in 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 Texas. So so that'll be that'll be debuted in the following week. And I think I want to say there's 3 weeks left and then but we did did sign a deal for another season. So uh Season two will start in February, which, I, 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 once again, my memory is not always that great, but I, I know season two is going to have alligators, black bear, uh, Spain. Um, I think there might be a UK uh, episode. Um, but, yeah, some, some big-time variety. Stone sheep.
2: Great. That keeps people bouncing all over and, and intrigued by the different areas. Yeah. So as you, as you've started the filming, what have you, what have you learned about filming in the field that makes it different when you're just on a normal hunt?
1: Oh, I'm learning all kinds of things. I've, I have no experience at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you know there, you know, everything from the clothing to, 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 to different, you know, different outtakes for every scene. It's like, it adds a whole nother component. It, it, uh, I mean, it can be fun, but but you know you you have to uh, utilize a lot more time than you normally would, you know that. Oh, yeah, and and, and I, I'm certainly not an expert. I, you know I'm very fresh into this, so i'm I'm learning constantly.
2: I like the wording that it can be fun from time to time that is is key it can be fun every once in a while it is fun doing another outtake or another reenactment for the 14th time to get a different angle yeah right that's that's when you know you've got a good field producer though that he's that he's going through and and knowing what he's got to get from the field
1: right yeah
2: so I, I know it's I know it's fairly new how have what kind of feedback have you gotten from your show
1: it's been real positive. I, you know, I haven't seen um, the week three data yet, uh, but I know there was pretty significant growth between week one and week two, uh, 33% or something like that. Oh, wow. So so it, uh, I, I, it's it been been real positive. Um, I'll be, you know, the one thing that, 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 that I think is still not really known is the streaming. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a lot of reporting on that, but I know a lot of people that are streaming it. In fact, that's what I do. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see that, you know, what those demographics look like.
2: Yeah. And how had the show already aired when they re-up for season two, or was it, was it just getting ready to air and they re-up for season two?
1: It was actually part of the original deal.
2: Okay. Okay. And,
1: and, and I think it's, I think that's a good way to do it just because it's a new show. And I, I think it probably takes a couple of seasons just to see how it's actually going to perform.
2: Yep. and, and, people finding it in that time spot and truthfully people finding it on the history channel. Like that's a, right. that's a big one just because you're it, like, I look at it, been on TV for a long time. You're tapping into, into a, a group of viewers that normally doesn't have a chance to look at this content because that group of viewers isn't going to sportsman channel or outdoor or pursuit channel right. to watch hunting content. That, that, that's why I'm so intrigued and in a uh, truthfully, I was blown away when I'm like, Holy smokes, you got the show on the history channel. I like that. Just, I would never thought the History Channel would pick up a subject like this, and that's that's great to be able to expand the message.
1: Yeah, and and I think because it's such a neutral position that we take in the show, uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it.
2: Honestly, yeah, no, I I, I um, fully agree in that. So if you look, a couple a couple of hard questions that I've started asking everybody for their take, like. What do you think the biggest problem facing wildlife is today? If you take what wildlife is today and then look 15 or 20 years in the future, what is, what is the, the, the top things that, that are the, the biggest biggest problem or highest concern?
1: I think 6 billion humans is probably the biggest concern.
2: 6 billion humans and growing. Yep. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the, and that's like nobody wants to say that. But why is it, like I, I talk not only about about um, wildlife? Oh, food prices! Food prices are going up. Well, there's six right. billion humans to feed, and that'll be seven yeah. billion before too long, and then ten billion, and then eleven billion, and that's a lot of corn. It's a lot of grain. It's a lot of meat. It's a lot of everything.
1: Yeah, I think that's our biggest our biggest issue. But not only with wildlife, but with with humans. I mean, it, you know, I I, I don't. I don't proclaim to have an answer to that, but, but I, I think that's the biggest issue. Uh, and then of course, I think misinformation is just with any topic is a, is another major issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, if I, if I ask you another question, what do you think the biggest problem facing hunters are today?
1: I think, uh, I think our biggest pro our, I think our most important challenge is we, we have to stay relevant and, 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 and I think that we can, but I think it's, it's, it's going to be how we conduct ourselves, how we promote our lifestyle, you know, um, hunting needs to to be relevant to go into the future. If it becomes irrelevant or gets, gets, uh, you know, with each generation, if there's less and less people doing it and, and more pressure to not do it, you know, um, eventually we're going to have some issues. Um, but uh, I think as hunters, we need to work on, you know, keeping this lifestyle relevant in, in a modern world. I mean, and, and, it, and it can be, but you have to not just talk about hunting, talk about the benefits of hunting. I mean, yeah. that's, the, that, that's the big deal. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to hunting. There's a lot of benefits to keeping these huge, Landscapes and ecosystems intact. I mean, that's that's how you keep the wildlife. Uh, and and hunting is, you know, like I said, I was in Northwest Territories. I'm you know I'm up there in the Mackenzie Mountains, and I'm talking to the guide, and I'm like, you know, so other than recreation and hunting and fishing, how is this landscape utilized? And he was like, it's not. There's nothing else done here. I mean, think about that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: What, it's, a, it's truly an untouched area. You can't go anywhere yeah. in the U.S. and and set up, set foot on somewhere, and go. What is this just used for hunting? Not not anywhere is anymore.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, and and that's powerful. I mean, and people need to understand that. I mean, it's cool to look at pictures of doll sheep standing on a mountain, but how, why are they there? How is this preserved? Uh, and it's like that whole area. That's all. The only use is recreation. Mm-hmm. So. That is relevant. Very <laughs> sure,
2: yeah, extremely relevant. Extremely relevant. And it's one of those and it's like I, I always talk about this is one of the things that hunters need to understand is that of the what are three hundred and fifty well three hundred and sixty five million people in the US now, you're not gonna have a hundred million hunters. Never never have been, never never will get there if we maintain our hunting numbers, it's great because let's face it, the, the hunting access in the U S is going down because there's, there's just public lands tough because there's a lot of hunters and access to private land is getting tougher because obviously there are more houses going in. Um, just in today's world, people don't like to have other people on their property for insurance reasons, for lots of reasons why they, why they don't do that. The, like I always look the messaging and, and when you say the, the relevance really, really hits, you're not trying to sway. There are people that are anti-hunting, just as there are people that are for hunting. You're, you're really going after that middle group and, and keeping it relevant that they're, when they go to the polls or when they vote on, on certain issues that really affect wildlife or, or hunting specific is that they go and relate that to of, man, my cousin hunts or my nephew or my niece or my aunt. Or I remember going hunting with my dad and everything great that, that came from that in, in that relevance is you're not trying to sway and get more, more hunters. You're really trying to sway that middle ground. So when it does come to, to elections that do affect certain things, certain animals is that the, that middle ground really votes and goes, man, this is a, this is a way of life. It's always been a way of life. I understand the, the importance that hunting brings to the wildlife.
1: Right. And, and, and the other, the other thing that's pretty powerful these days is food security. So, so, you know, healthy foods, food, I, you know, there are lots of people that don't hunt that really enjoy eating, you know, healthy, pure, mm-hmm. non-steroid, yep. <laughs> wild game, you know, I mean, uh, it, you know, that's become very popular. And, 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 uh, I think that, uh, that's another thing that, that, that is a big crossover is, 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 is just the you know, the idea of, 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 procuring your own food, you know, that, that's not raised in a feedlot, um, and, uh, and sharing that, you know, yep. we, we have a community that shares, you know, it's, it's a big, big part of what we do. And, and, and I think that has value and relevancy as well.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. So now this is, a, this is, this is my new fun question to, to ask, what's your take on, on social media for, for hunting and wildlife? good or bad
1: I think it I think it can be both
2: and how um, and I, I agree I agree with that I love to, I love to hear everybody's take on this one though
1: well I, I think if you know I, I think if if you're careful about your messaging and, and you, you you try to show the the part the of what we do and 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 the benefits to wildlife I think it's a very good tool I, I, I think if you' if you're putting out pictures that are disrespectful or, or, uh, um, you know, if if they're gory and things like that, I think that hurts us. I mean, I I just do, you know, I I understand that something dies, you know, there's blood. I get all that. Mm -hmm. And and I have no issue with any of it, but, but I think that there is a general public that that would prefer not see that, you know, And, and I, and I think it, it hurts us all uh when either the messaging is wrong or the photo is wrong. Um but I uh, but it, but I think so so I guess what what I think is there can be good and bad hunting I mean, community, the anti-hunting community with just incorrect uh, information. I mean uh, and uh that's out there every day, mm-hmm. you know. So so that's another bad example of of, of social media um in regards to hunting. Yep. But I mean I I think there I see actually see more positive stuff now than I ever used to. And I you know, as far as you can tell people are crafting what they're putting on there a lot more now than they used to.
2: And I I fully agree with that too. There there are a lot of people that are doing it and and I don't use the word correctly, but they're they're doing it to 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 tell a different message than what it was in the past.
1: Yeah, and to help. Yes to, to help us all. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, we, we need to be united and not divided. And I think, you know, the more positive messaging that we put out there, uh, the better,
2: nope. you know, fully agree. So how has in, in your mind, how has hunting changed over the last 20 years?
1: Um, you know, kind of some things you already talked to. I think, you know, I think access has gotten harder. Um, I think it's gotten very expensive, you know, for it, which makes it difficult for young people. And, 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 um, I think those things, I, I once again, I don't have a solution for those things, but, 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 but I, but I think access is harder. I think it's expensive. I think people are distracted with a lot of other things now. So there's less people getting out and doing things, uh, I find that once you get somebody out, they have an incredible experience. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's
2: one of those things that, and it's, it's awesome. I may not be able to do it every weekend in the fall, but I'm definitely going to do it a couple weekends in the fall right? Or something like that. Or they, like it, it's tough if you get somebody out there for their first turkey hunt and they've got a gobbler just doing it and, and going crazy. Like you can't tell me that you go out there and that person's not like, Holy smokes. That was amazing. We right. always no, have a good I, time I with that.
1: <laughs> I agree, hundred percent. Well,
2: and we we cover this one on the expense part a lot. I mean, just on on a lot of these different hunts. But if you look at, um, say a deer hunt any anywhere in the in in the Midwest, if you look in and guys are like, man, it's getting so expensive. If you go, if you go and do it, even if you go and just lease that property, what that lease cost is now compared to what it is ten years ago just look at what that landowner has for increased costs now versus 10 years ago. For sure. And now if you look at going with an outfitter, look at, let's be really close. look at what his costs were three years ago versus what they are today. By the time, not only cause he's, he's normally leasing ground, which is now more expensive because the landowner has to charge more. His guide obviously is making more. All the stuff at his lodge costs more. Food, bedding, all all of that stuff costs more. Um, and it's just the the gas that the guy drives in his in his truck. All the scouting costs more. Batteries that he's running in his trail cams. Like the expenses go up, and that unfortunately translates into into higher costs. F- for a lot of the outfitters too and trust me like talking to the outfitters they don't want to increase their prices like that they know they know what their clientele is but they also at the same time realize like i can't lose money every time i have a guy in the field for sure yeah and that's what's in access that's why you see so many people going to public land and you think about the millions of acres that we have of public land but We also have a lot of hunters at the, at the same time. And it used to be, okay, if I get away from the roads and I get in there, I'll get away from it. but that's not the case anymore. Guys are guys will go and do that day in day out. And there's so many more people that it's just tough. Like, I don't have an answer for it too. I talk about it a lot, but like the access to get people to go and hunt, even the guys that, that live in a city that, that enjoy it. Well, you can see why they fade away from it because they don't have anywhere that they can go on a weekend
1: for sure. And, and then that filters down into the younger people. And and, and, and if you start use, losing those younger people, I mean, it, it's kind of like we were talking about the exponential growth of those lines where you can see an exponential decline in what we do if younger people are not active in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, that's a huge challenge. Uh, just because of the two things we just talked about uh, the expense and the access, you know, it just, you know, especially for kids that live in the city, I mean, it, it becomes very challenging.
2: And kids have so many more opportunities now when they're younger than what I think about what I had when I was when I was younger. I mean, shoot, I look forward to cartoons on Sunday morning and, and there just weren't as many things. There was as many technology There weren't sports were were not what they are today. Like I've, I'd play sports on Saturday morning and that would be it for the weekend. Now, if you're, right. on a, you're on a travel team, that's two nights a week. That's both <laughs> days on the weekend. That's that, I mean, that's his uh, second and third full-time job for the parents, just keeping the kids rocking and rolling in that, which is, which is great. And don't get me wrong, because I, I believe kids learn a lot from that type of team atmosphere and being in sports. So I'm, I'm realistic when I look at, at Michelle, my youngest, is, is the one that loves the outdoors. If I can get her in the field six to eight times a year, I'm really, really doing good just because I know what her schedule looks like as a 13 year old. I know what sport she's in. I know what she's doing and just being realistic. If I can get her in the field six to eight times a year at her age right now with her schedule is great. And why I'm such a believer in those those youth seasons, giving them an early opportunity, just giving yes. the youth an extra, extra couple of days. And, and yeah, guys that are serious bow hunters, maybe like, I don't, I don't like youth going into the field with, with, uh, with a rifle before then. And I'm like, listen, this is a, this is a bigger picture than, than the one deer that you're chasing this year. This is, this is about the big picture.
1: Yeah. This is about, this is about our future. <laughs> yep.
2: Yep. Exactly. Well, Dan, thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, Everybody, you gotta check out Dan's, Dan's show Saturday at 9 a.m. on the History Channel, um, and it's gonna it goes for another three weeks here, and then it'll restart up in February for another run of of season two. Dan, again, that was as as a hunter and believing and trying to push our messaging forward. It's 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 big for the community to have somebody with the show on the History Channel. So so thank you for everything you're doing with that.
1: Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for all you do, and, and thanks for having me this morning.
2: Yep, and good luck in the, in the field. And uh, once you slow down again, and, and hopefully late winter, we'll, we'll have to connect again and do this again, and, and we'll go over how your, how
3: your fall went.
1: Sounds good.
2: Perfect. Thanks, Dan. Take
1: care.
3: Thank you, everyone out there, for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.